Welcome to Forever a Golden Bear, brought to you by the Big C Society, the letter winners society of Cal Athletics and its alumni network. Each week, we interview varsity letter winners from Cal who are excelling in their post-sports careers. Through their stories, we demystify how to ladder into various professional roles, examine what a day in the life of those roles looks like, and explore whether the athlete's mindset, disciplines, and sensibilities provides an edge in post-sports careers. This episode, and actually the first 13 episodes of Forever a Golden Bear, is brought to you by a regular donor to the Big C Society, who shall remain nameless, who made his gift in honor of the thousands of walk-on athletes for the Golden Bears across all of its sports. Anonymous donor, you know who you are, and thank you, thank you from all of us. Your generosity is the fuel for what we produce here. For anyone else who has an interest in supporting this podcast, please go to bigcsociety.org forward slash donate. Each $500 donation funds one episode of this show. Hello, everyone. There is uh, Joe Roof, former Cal football, now president of the Big C Society. Uh, Together with us are Robert Paler, who's the incoming director of the Big C Society, and our special guest, Justin Fursett, formerly of Cal football, uh, Seattle Seahawks, Jacksonville Jaguars, Baltimore Ravens, Detroit Lions, Denver Broncos, (laughs) and now the co-founder and CEO of the popular body wipe company, Hustle Clean. Uh, so for our listeners, here's a little bit of background on Justin. He uh, grew up in Florida with a couple of years of high school in Texas. Um, all world played football for the golden bears under former head coach, Jeff Tedford, alongside a couple of other mildly talented running backs and JJ Arrington <laughs> and Marshawn Lynch, uh, earned four varsity letters from 2004 to 2007 and graduated with a BS in dis- interdisciplinary studies with a focus on field globalization and consumer behavior which is probably serving you well at Hustling Clean since you've got a consumer-facing company now. <laughs> yep. And I, I also wanted to tell a, a quick story of like what a wonderful guy Justin is. Uh, he and I have a mutual friend in Andrew McGraw, Cal Football, whose um, best friend, Dino, regrettably passed away about 10 years ago from cancer. And uh, just after Justin landed with the Seahawks in the NFL draft, anyway, so Dino was a huge Seahawks fan like me. I don't know if you know that, Justin. I went to high school in Seattle. And uh, when Justin heard about his passing, he had a Steve Largent jersey made and overnighted it to Dino's family. And that turned out to be one of the most, you know, touching moments during their period of grieving. And it's emblematic of just how Justin is always quietly doing something special for everybody around him. So oh, anyway, good, good work, man. Good. I love that. And welcome to our welcome to the show. We're really, It's really a pleasure to have you. No worries. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk today. Yeah. Did you, by the way, did you see uh, that New York Times article on McGraw? No, I didn't. Ooh, I'm going to send that to you afterwards. He's getting some pub. Yeah. Nice. He deserves it. He definitely does. Okay. So um, I remember hearing, you know, the prior to your year with the Ravens, you know, which is a breakout year for you in the NFL, uh, you were thinking about hanging up your cleats. And I I was just wondering, can can you tell me the story, you know, or the moment or moments like when you seriously started thinking about life after football and like, you know, was it in Jacksonville, like when you were released or, you know, mm-hmm. knowing that you were a student of uh, Professor Etter back at Cal and you had coach coach in your ear, were you, were you taking steps to transition to post football life when you were back at Cal? 
For sure. Uh, so I started thinking about post-football life around year three. I was still up in Seattle. Um, and at that point, I was fired or cut twice. Uh, uh, yeah, at that point, I want to say twice. And I was thinking to myself, like, man, if I don't make a team, what, what's next for me? Like, what, are, what, are, what am I going to do? And at the, at the same time, there was a Sports Illustrated article that came out about athletes becoming broke. Um, and there was a statistic that said that uh, 80% of football players two years after they retire from the NFL or leave the game, they're either bankrupt, divorced, or depressed. And I didn't want to be in that statistic. Um, I knew there was more for me out there. I knew that football was not my identity. Like I knew that uh, that I wanted more for my life than to see the, re- repeat this cycle that we had seen in sports, where you see these kids come from humble beginnings. They go out to college, they get education, they make they go to the NFL or NBA, get drafted, only to return to. Uh, you know, humble circumstances and, yeah. you know, struggling financially. And I didn't want to be in that statistic. I saw guys like Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, uh, Roger Starback, you know, Emmitt Smith that kind of really uh, use sports to propel them into the next phase of life. Even Michael Strahan, as I continue to go on in the NFL. And I wanted to be in that number and that statistic. And uh, it really hit me hard doing Jacksonville. That was year six for me. And uh, it's just nothing was going right. Uh, I was definitely the underdog coming into that situation. Uh, it was just the darkest moment of my career. A lot of rejection, uh, a lot of disappointment. Uh, had an injury, had to overcome, and I couldn't play. They wouldn't put me on the field for anything. I, I couldn't get a, a carry. I think that whole season I had five carries before I got hurt. Um, I think I got injured around week 11. And uh, it was it was just a hard pill for me to swallow. And I figured if I couldn't play for the Jacksonville Jaguars with a four-win team, who could I play for? So <laughs> I was thinking about what would be next, and it was coming more real to me at that time. Got it. Uh, did you and did you consider like getting an MBA before you started Shower Pill, or like can you give us a sense of like the the range of <laughs> of like roles that that appealed to you and why, and and then like sort of how you. Like like MBA, other roles, entrepreneurship as a part of it. I know you have a speaking business. Like, right. how did how did that all kind of unfold? Well, I was looking at my gifts and my strengths. I was trying to uh, work within the talents that I, I felt that God gave me. So I was, I, I, I knew I was a problem solver. I knew I was creative. I knew I was a storyteller. Um, I knew I was a leader, um, and those things kind of really led me to what I was really passionate about. One, encouraging people, lifting people up. So that's why I started the speaking uh, business while I was playing. And then the other thing was entrepreneurship. Like I want to be able to create opportunities for people in my community, people that look like me, people that came from certain backgrounds. And uh, I wanted to uh, really establish this legacy of like, you know, empowering people. And entrepreneurship was the best way to go about that uh, because it was the way that I saw my parents um, they were entrepreneurs. They had a, a restaurant when I was growing up. So I, I really had an example from them and I just wanted to continue on and uh, create something for myself, and for my family that uh, we could be proud of. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I, I often wonder the, uh, you know, I, I I think once you've you've occupied, you know, some like, let's just say position of authority or where you have a, a lot of uh, a, you're in a position of influence, whether it's on a football team 
or something else. I remember hearing one guy uh, who was a former entrepreneur say this, like, once you've been CEO, like you don't really want to do any other jobs. So like, I'm, I'm wondering <laughs> if, if you're, you know, that like sense of self, like after you had all this success, success as a, uh, as a running back, you know, did it give you confidence to, and did you just sort of, did you have to level into that place or you know, would you have even been comfortable going to, you know, say work as a part of a team at someplace like Apple or, you know, some other company? Yeah, I, I believe what suited me well uh, was that being an athlete or being anything at a high level, um, it takes a level of insanity. And uh, to be a football player in the NFL, you have to be insane. And uh, to be an <laughs> entrepreneur, you have to be insane. And uh, <laughs> so that transition really worked for me. Like, I just knew I wanted to be great. And the lane, the vehicle in which to do so just happened to be entrepreneurship. But um, that's why... I've, uh, football was in its rightful place for me or its proper place for me. So I never just wanted to be an all-pro running back. I wanted to be an all-pro father. I want to be an all-pro businessman. I want to be an all-pro husband. Um, so I believe that if you're really chasing greatness in life, you cannot just section off like it's not like a pie. Like you can't just say this is a part of my life here. I want to be great in football, but I'm gonna be a lousy father, a lousy husband. Yeah. That's not greatness. Like greatness, if it was an apple pie, greatness is the filling. So any part that you cut out of me, like you're gonna get greatness. You're gonna there's a standard there that's set. So that's what I wanted. And being entrepreneur, like I wanted to be the best. I wanted to be, you know, the the Steve Jobs. I that's what I was going after. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, if I was speaking, you know, I wanted to be the Zig Ziglar. Um, so those that's what I was really chasing. Um, and entrepreneurship had just happened to be the vehicle. Could I work somewhere like a Madison Avenue uh, working for an ad agency? Uh, sure. Um, I believe so. And I want to have impact there. Uh, but I was really passionate about uh, being an entrepreneur and, and uh, building a legacy and creating opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I definitely, uh, I feel you there. It's a, there's a word for this. Some people call it enterprise control where you want to have like, you know, control over the canvas. You're okay with both positive and negative outcomes always driving. Um, so, uh, for those of, uh, our listeners that don't know Justin's wife, her name is formerly Angie Pressy. She's like one of the best volleyball players ever to play at Cal. And I, I mentioned that because we have a great Cal family here and I, but I, it's a mm-hmm. sort of an antecedent to my next question, which is like, I wonder if you could just bring us back and describe the conversation when you, you first mes- mentioned to Angie that, you know, you wanted to skip out on, you know, some other lucrative career like Madison Avenue and <laughs> instead start your own wipes company, like, you know, with, you know, uncertain revenue and probably some investment by you guys and so forth. Yeah, uh, I don't think she understood what I was uh, getting into. And I don't think I fully understood everything that uh, being an entrepreneur would entail. Well, but, no one uh, would. Uh, ben Horowitz talks about this in his book, The Hard Thing About Hard Things. If anyone oh. knew how hard it was going to be, no one would do it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so that's the insanity part. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, so uh, my wife... Uh, Cause it was a side hustle, you know, we started out and we were just simply a wipe company that was one wipe. And it was like really attacking this pain point within the locker room or fitness space. When a shower was optimal, and not possible. We were going to be the solution. And, uh, it was called shower pill. And, uh, 
And so it was something I was doing on the side. Wife, they was like, oh, that's really cool. That's cute that you're going out there after practice and you're driving <laughs> down to Redmond, Washington and renting and you're going out and you're pitching to these local bike shops and running stores uh, in uh, off of Lake Washington. And uh, it just started to really grow. Like, you know, it was a category that we had to do a lot of educating and uh, it just grew into this this big thing now. Okay, so was this during your first stint with the Seahawks or your second stint? So my second stint. So okay, my first all right. Stint, it, was, it, was, it was really short, my first stint. So it, I got, I, I made the roster my uh, my rookie year. First day, first game of the year, I was on the roster. Second game, they tried to, they tried to, they released me to get me on practice squad, but the coach picked me up, and I was there for four weeks, and then I came back. Um, and that was my second stand. I finished out my contract there. Nice. Well, there you go. See, you're you're definitely you're you're mid NFL career. But you're like, all right, I got to get I got to get rolling. I've got an idea here. But you you weren't necessarily you weren't certain about it then. You just thought you had, you had an idea. You wanted to get try and get a signal from the market, right? Exactly. Exactly. All right. So when did you start raising money for this? And like, can you give aspiring entrepreneurs kind of in our audience like a sense of like the tranches of fundraising, like? You know, you raise this much money, you move the troops this far, you raise your next slug of money, you move, you know, you go to the next stage and, and so forth. Like you start off with putting in your own money or maybe friends and family. Can, can you give a sense of how that unfolds? Yeah, it started off with put, putting up your own money and putting up my own money into the company my other founders putting in their, their money. Um, and then, uh, you know, that just kind of gets you that, that, that you know minimum value product that you have out there to put and kind of really test and see if there's anybody interested uh, in the in what you're offering. So uh, we we had that. And then after uh, after uh, a, a year, a couple of years of, of that um, and seeing where that got us, then we raised outside capital, uh, friends and family. Um, I know people say there's three F's, uh, friends, families, and fools, uh, doing that, <laughs> in that next round. Uh, a lot of risk in the early days. Yeah. A lot of, lot of risk, a lot of risk. Um, you're, you're really trying to find product market fit. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's trying to see, uh, how you're, you're going to really, uh, establish your kind of go to market strategy and all that stuff. There's a lot of stuff up in the air. And, so can, uh, can you give us a sense there, like, you know, just in terms of numbers, is are you raising like a million dollars in this round or half a million, 250? No, no a couple thousand. A couple er, thousand early, bucks. A couple, couple, couple thousand bucks early on, but out of our pocket. Uh, at that point, I, I didn't have a big contract at all um, in the NFL. So I was uh, literally uh, one of the guys that, you know, I didn't know if I was going to make the team the next uh, the next year, um, you know, for a couple of those years. So. Uh, had to be very strategic. I was kind of uh, played everything close to the vest, saving as much as I could. But this was kind of my one risk. So, uh, and it was something that you know I love betting on myself because I can yeah. I can control that to to a degree. So yeah. uh, so I was all for it. And then the next the next round, you start bringing on some outside capital with your friends and family, like I said, and that was a couple hundred thousand uh, dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were there for a minute for some years uh, before we started getting in uh, to trying to raise, you know, you know, uh, you know, million dollar, million dollar round. So now, were you, were you guys paying yourself at this point or was this all just going to marketing and product development? No paying. No, no, we took no money. So uh, it was all just like the love of the game. 
and uh, it was everything was going to the baby to feed the baby, make sure it was healthy. And uh, yeah, there was no salary uh, to that point. So for all the uh, aspiring entrepreneurs out there, this is a really important point. As you start moving along, when you start getting into more serious money, uh, you know, and even in your pre-seed stage, you know, your investors are going to look at this period that Justin was in and like, it's really important that you put the company first uh, as opposed to putting yourself first. So that, that involves a lot of pain and sacrifice. You get ready to be ready for that. Like you have to like prep, save, because uh, oh, uh, yeah. that that is looked on very favorably in subsequent rounds. Keep going. Yeah, you got, you got to believe in yourself at that point. And uh, you, you're trying to build something where when you get to the point of trying to bring on some uh, some bigger capital, you're not you're not trying to give away as much. Um, yeah, that too. <laughs> so, so I think that's uh, that's important to note um, because the most valuable thing that you can give away is equity, and uh, you don't just give somebody equity off the the first date, right? That equity <laughs> is marriage. You know, that is something you're putting a ring on somebody, and that is you know forever. And uh, remember to get everything vested early on. Uh, that's a that's another thing that uh, when you start in a company, make sure everything is structured right. Make sure you have a solid operating agreement. I don't know what they call, call it on the, uh, oh, on yeah. the West Coast. But but all those things, getting the right legals, uh, legal team to help you uh, through that process is important. And even fundraising to make sure that cap table is, is 100%. Strong, looks good. You need a lawyer. And there's a lot of lawyers that actually will do, you know, the first, you know, whatever $25,000 of work, $30,000 of work for free, you know, if they see that you're going to build a kind of company that's going to get to a Series A or something, uh, and then they, yeah. they they collect the funds in the end. But yeah, really, really important to have a lawyer. <laughs> you really can't understand how important that is. It's hugely um, important. Uh, so somewhere in there, you go and onto Shark Tank like in 2018 and pitch like, now, were you really thinking about raising money from them? I know they called you. Yeah. Or was it or was it more of like just a promotional opportunity? Like, you know, let's talk about that. How'd that how'd you prep? How'd that unfold? Did it drive any growth? Like what happened? Man, so anytime I get asked about Shark Tank, it is a pivotal point within the business. Um and even though uh, we didn't get a deal on that and it was probably one of the worst pitches in Shark Tank history. Uh, <laughs> but it was you haven't seen my pitches that were early. I didn't go to Shark Tank, <laughs> but they were bad. Man, it, it was definitely bad. But we prepped so hard. We did the work. It was when the then the lights come came on. Um, just not being able to tell that story, financial side of the story, the way that the investor wanted to hear it, um, and that was kind of the the uh, the the dissonance there um, yeah. with them. But we we definitely. I mean. First, the process is very strenuous. I mean, you're signing away, uh, you know, documents. It's basically giving your life away. Um, that was the longest application I've ever been a part of. And then to only, you know, I knew I was in a certain situation. I was more than likely going to be on air uh, because of the background. But there's tons of people that we were out there. And, you know, you go for this first round. You're flying out of L.A. You're going through the process of seeing us first round of producers, letting them hear your pitching story. And then they're making cuts there. And then all of a sudden, you don't even know if uh, you're going to be able, if you can fly out there, tell them your story. You're not, there's a likely, uh, you know, more than likely, you're probably not going to air on TV. There's a lot of people that don't air. So uh, we were blessed and fortunate to air. And then we got there. Uh, we got some great feedback from a lot of the sharks that were there, whether it was Mark Cuban, uh, Lori, um, uh, Lord Grenier, uh, Mr. Barbara, Wonderful, 
Mr. Wonderful wasn't there, thankfully. It might have been oh. worse. Uh, but A-Rod, Alex Rodriguez was there as a guest. Uh, Mark Hershevitz was there. So uh, we... It was the best thing that could have happened to us uh, to be able to uh, to get there, get exposure, um, be kind of the first movers in that space on the national phase that really propelled us to some great things uh, right after. Cool. So let's let's talk about that just one minute more. So, <clears throat> what specifically did you, in retrospect, do you think that the investors were looking for in the description of your business? That, that somehow wasn't in your pitch. Like I, you probably told the narrative of like how your company came to be and so forth. Yep. Like what, what were they really looking for? Were they looking for unit economics? Were they looking for your pro forma financials over five years? Like tell us a little bit more about that. So how do you scale? How do you scale, the, how do you scale this business? Uh, what do the economics look like? Um, those things early on, um, like, yeah, not having a full grasp on that, looking back, like you got to be able to tell that story. There's no way around that. Like it doesn't matter how great um, your business uh, is doing. If you can't communicate how well the business is and the plan for that uh, going forward the next uh, few years, uh, then yep. you're not going to get an investor on. You got to understand the numbers inside and out. And uh, that was kind of what led to yeah. what I'm going to do. You know, it's, it's a good, it's a really good thing for, for entrepreneurs. You're thinking about like some business that you want to pitch. You got to be able to say like, okay, for every dollar that we earn, you know, this number of cents goes to, you know, SG&A. This is, you know, what we spend on, you know, salaries and so forth. Like here's our, yep. our net, you know, earnings, you know, per dollar. And then as we grow, here's the inflection points where our profit actually starts to increase because we get, you know, better economies of scale, our cost of goods goes down and so yep. forth. And other other sort of investments that you need because the investors they want they want to hear what what you're going to use their money for, for right? Sure. It's like what's the use of proceeds? You're going to take this dough and then by the way, how am I going to get rich after I give yeah. you this money? How you know how am I going to like go back to my family and be like, yeah, look check out my look look at that investment. I'm a superstar. Yep. That's basically what investors want to know is how they're going to make money. You know they're going to be able to brag to other people like in parties that they found this awesome. New company, you know, <laughs> called exactly. Shower Velvet. So, yeah. <clears throat> All right. That's awesome. Um, okay. Yeah. Now, go ahead. You, you have something else? Oh, no, no. I was just saying uh, uh, after after Shark Tank, we went on uh, to Good Morning America, The View, um, and that really propelled us into uh, Target where we got national uh, distribution there. Sweet. And, uh, yeah. So it was really great for the for the brand. Well, that's really useful, too. Another great thing, like for small for young companies, you know, Distribution is a big deal. You know, it's it's expensive to to find customers. Um, you know, yep. and and so when you're when you're on someone's shelf like Target, that's a that gets a lot of foot traffic, and you know, you get the credibility and so forth. That's really mm -hmm. great. I mean, that's now I, I want to I got to switch gears here a little bit on um, another key aspect of uh, starting a company, which is your co-founders. Okay, yep. so your uh, two co-founders, Wendell Hunter and Will Forrester, both Cal football guys, right? Yep, yep. Wale. Wale. Okay. Yeah. Sorry about that. Uh, yep. He, uh, so among the most consequential decisions that you'll make as an entrepreneur is who your co founders are, who you start your company with. And this is because, like, you spend so much time together, you know, you make thousands of decisions, with, or bets really, because you're doing that with decisions without complete information. 
you know, and sort of immense time pressure to hit milestones before you run out of cash. You know, all of that can be really destabilizing to, you know, founder relationships. You know, speaking as I, I had a really rocky sort of exit with, with my co-founder as an example. So I'm, I'm kind of interested, like, you know, how did you choose your co-founders? And then like, what's the division of labor? And, you know, do you guys have therapy sessions? Like that would have been good for us. And like <laughs> meeting, meeting cadences, like how do you guys keep it all together? Well, yeah. It's, so the company, it started with uh, three of us and uh, came together after brainstorming off season about uh, this product, at least when it was called the shower pill. Uh, now hustle clean, and they uh, we got together, brainstorm, and said, okay, how we can really come up and use this product and take it to market. And uh, the division of labor was more since I was playing uh, in the NFL. Um, uh, I was doing more of the biz dev side and trying to increase and create brand awareness, uh, being a brand champion out there. But the guys were handling more of the manufacturing side, operation side. Uh, of the business. So that was the, the division early on. Um, and then over the years, uh, we kind of grew um, into different roles, uh, especially once I retired, I became the active uh, CEO of the company. And actually because uh, of circumstances uh, where we're not taking a salary, actually uh, Wendell had to go on and take on another job. And it was just, so it's just Wally and I uh, running the company now. So being able, I mean, three partners with three hot ideas, um, like there's a definitely interesting dynamic chemistry and you're trying to always listen and can over communicate as much as you can. It's very important. Um, even with two people now with us, uh, Wale and I, like communication is key, uh, making sure that uh, uh, like the baby at the end of the day is getting taken care of, uh, making sure that uh you're, you're communicating outside of work too. So having a relationship outside of work where everything is not business or related because you can have a great, you can have a great product, you can have a great system, but if the organization within is hurting, um, your business is eventually going to start hurting and suffering. So uh, we have constant dialogues where we're getting away. Uh, we're not talking about business. <laughs> it is basically a marriage uh, yeah, with, uh, yeah. with your co-founder. 100%. Uh, I probably talk to him more than I talk to myself. And uh, so it is, uh, yeah, it's, it's constantly growing um, every day by the relationship. Um, it is definitely a marriage. Everything's, a, you know, no day is the same um, when you're when you're an entrepreneur. So so I I, um, I want to expand on stay on this topic for a minute. So, mm -hmm. you know, in the Silicon Valley, if you were building a software company, people talk a lot about successful founder partnerships, you know, that have, have really good complementary skill sets or division of labor in such a way that you're not stepping on each other and each person kind of gets to own the thing that they own. So if you're a software company, people always talk about the hustler hacker combination mm -hmm. where essentially you have one person who's selling and one person who's building the product. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, in, in companies, we just spoke with uh, Joey Zwillinger uh, who founded Allbirds mm -hmm. and he pointed out that in, in non-tech companies, sort of, without, you know, the need to have a software developer, that the division of labor is, it can be a little bit different. Like, in his case, they have, like, he, Joey does, like, the uh, financials, and, you know, his business partner is, like, the creative, you know, and both creative as, as it relates to building the shoe and also marketing the shoe. So, like, that's the way they do their division of labor. Mm -hmm. uh, so, how do you guys do it? 
uh, inside your company does uh, like, you know, what are the parts that you take? What are the parts that Wale takes? Yeah. So for me, uh, I handle uh, business development, raising capital. Uh, I handle the marketing uh, for the most part. Now, we all since we're a startup, I mean, we all do a lot of things. So sometimes there's some intermingling there. Uh, But he is handling more of the operation side of things, the supply chain management, a little bit of the financials as well. Um, So that's kind of how we split it, split it up. But I mean. We wear a lot of different hats along the day. Do you guys ever get any big fights? I uh, I remember you know some of these like discussions where it's like no I I really strongly really strongly think that we should do this thing. And the other guy's like no <laughs> I, I strenuously think that we should do this other thing. And there's no guys no I strenuously strenuously think that we should do you know, that kind of thing. Like how do you how do you resolve those sorts of disputes early on? So we just do Oklahoma drills is basically what we do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we you describe that for, for our non-footballers? Yeah, yeah. So Oklahoma drills, I mean, it's just two of us. So we're just going to line up and put our pads on and we're just going to try to run over each other. And the person that's on the back <laughs> is the person that loses. So I love it. That's how we settle. No, but really, we don't have too many arguments. There are strong, passionate points where we are making about uh, we're making about ideas uh, for the business, but it's all guided, uh, from, uh, the lens of like, what's going to make the business grow. So it's not about who made the decision. It's not about who's right or wrong. It's about, okay, we're going to, you say, you state your points. I state my point. Okay. And the best idea wins. All right, cool. Now let's talk about like a day in the life. You told to say that like no, no day is the, you know, the same, but for the role of yeah. CEO, like try and contrast for us the, you know, the first, couple of years when you were really rolling, you know, I, let's just say the first couple of years that you were doing shower pill after, you know, just the, the, the earliest, earliest days where you were doing, yep. you know, sort of MVP pitching where you actually had a business, you'd founded a company you were trying to sell to now where you're, you actually have the target account, you're selling in Amazon, you guys are actually making some money, you know, mm-hmm. you're starting to think about growth probably like you know, contrast those two like states and like, you know, try and tell me like how the, how the role is same and you know, how it's changed the CEO role. Well, um, they're, they're the same where, you know, you're still, uh, trying to be the example. You're still leading, uh, yeah, you're making tough decisions. Uh, but, uh, the stakes are just a little bit higher. Um, it is, it is the regular season versus, uh, the playoffs. And we, we've done a great job, uh, early on of just kind of laying the fundamentals and the foundation. So it's there and knowing who we are and what we stand for and kind of really building the culture that we want. Um, now it's about bringing on the right people and make, making more decisions on like, who's going to come on the team to help us grow and scale the business. And, um, you know, uh, with the new partners, who's man, who's helped managing uh, the partnerships that we have out there with the big accounts like uh, like Target. Uh, it's really moving from you know working in the business to working on the business is uh, is kind of the mindset. So, but it's still a lot of difficult uh, decisions daily. It I joke about it because Wale is a uh, you know he was a 13 year uh, firefighter of Oakland, a lieutenant of fire in Oakland. So uh, his job has really not changed. His job descriptions is not changed. Been an entrepreneur. It's about putting out fires daily. Um, yeah. It's about persevering. Um, there's challenges that are going to be thrown 
at you, whether it's like, uh, you know, making sure your shipments arrive on time, making sure uh, the supply chain is intact. And right now, sourcing your materials, especially within our industry in COVID uh, and your product being in high demand, making sure you're satisfying the customers, uh, you're being innovative, like it's a lot of things going on uh, right now. So, does you, does your product uh, supply chain uh, extend into like say China or places like that? Are you uh, how far do you have to go to get you know the, the raw materials? So we got uh, manufacturer here in the states and uh, outside of the country. Mm-hmm. So we have. Um, so that's complicated uh, in a in an environment yeah. like this. Yes, it's good that we have multiple uh, manufacturers, but it's still when you get supply chain, it's great demand. Like we've seen up 500 percent growth with uh, some of our partnerships early in the year uh, once once COVID hits. But with that, you're going through so much inventory. It can put a strain on the on the supply chain. So being able to. Uh, uh, account for that and make up for that because you can't forecast a COVID. You can't. That's like, right. The, your inventory is everything. Being able to manage inventory, that is capital. That is money. That is very valuable. So being able to forecast for that, even now, um, it, can, it, it is a challenge. It is like if you ask me something that keeps me up at night, it's like, man, we want to make sure we have enough product because of those inflection points. You want to be able to maximize them when you get them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't want to have too much inventory because you know then you can you can yes. sell yourself broke. Sit. Yes. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. We have a. I have another friend named Jay, uh, John Hirschberg who started a company called JR Two Eight Six. You, you, I don't know if you know Dave Barr, but he uh, that was his first job yeah. out of out of college, and uh, you know he says he they basically make all the accessories for for Nike. Yep. And uh, he says that's the whole business. It's inventory. Just. You know, and timing, you know, to make sure that everything's like coming in at the right time, flowing out at the right time, because it's just money. You know, it's like money converting from one form to another. Yeah, that's That's true. That's amazing. So how many do you guys have? How many employees do you have now? Or do you are you working with entirely contractors? So right now, entirely contractors, but we are bringing on employees uh, right now. Uh, We're in that season of life where we're going to have to have more uh, full time uh, people on the biz, uh, which is great. So. We've been actively hiring. Nice. Cool. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to that at the end of the interview. We'll, uh, if anybody's interested, we'll, we'll, we'll reach out and ask you how they can get in touch with you. So, okay. Um, I want to transition now. We'd like to shift to, you know, the intangible benefits of the, you know, I'm going to guess more than 10,000 hours of time you spent, you know, running <laughs> like mat drills and treating and like running a lot of running uh you know playing football and all the little things you know that and our our audience is kind of really really interested to see if if all the time that you spent on the gridiron you know particularly the intangible stuff transfers uh to a post sports career and and if so how does it give you an edge and and for that i'm gonna i'm gonna hand the mic off to uh my my co-partner here rob paler who also played football before his his rugby life. There he's 6'5". He's a big body. So, he, he, <laughs> as you said, he liked to hit people. Uh, yeah, so that's Rob, right. That was Rob my thing. Away. Love hitting people. Awesome, <laughs> Justin. You know, we hear a lot about these advantages that are embedded in the mindset of former athletes at work, along with these, uh, these disciplines that supposedly give former athletes an edge in the workforce. Uh, for example, Stanford professor Carol Dweck has written about this in her well-known book, Mindset. Now, first, do you think that that's truth or hype that this 
mindset of a former athlete gives you an edge. And then if there's truth to that, do you feel like you have any football related superpowers from your football days that are giving you an edge in your work with Hustle Clean? I would definitely say it's true. Um, you definitely have an edge. Um, the athletic background, there's so many skills that transfer over. Uh, being an entrepreneur, um, it is it is pretty scary. Um, I know for me, uh, the work ethic, the discipline, the commitment, all those great things that you hear all the time, like you cannot have enough of that, right? But I would say the number one thing that you need to have in a trait that carries over from being an athlete uh, to an entrepreneur is the ability to persevere. Like, it is the ability to get knocked down seven times and get up eight. Throughout my life and throughout my professional sports career, I was always told what I wouldn't be able to do, what I couldn't do. I was too short. I was too small. I was too slow. I was rejected, you know, even getting into Cal. Like, I was never supposed to get into Cal. Like, no one wanted me. I was just not the, like, they didn't think I could withstand playing D1 football at my size. And... Overcoming all that rejection, it really prepared me for what I'm doing now because, like, even like the days are hard. There are constantly people telling you no. There are t- constantly people telling you that uh, this is not a, a great idea. Uh, you know, when you're early, when you first getting going, and then there's fires. Like I said earlier in the conversation, every day you're going to meet adversity, but can you persevere? You see, everybody wants a breakthrough, but nobody wants to be broken. And I was thankful early on that I was broken enough in the right way, with the right perspective, where those moments of brokenness didn't define me. They refined me and made me a better person. Now transition from those broken moments, me being fired six times in the NFL, me being rejected by most colleges going into the NCAA. Those moments made me a better CEO because I'm no stranger to difficult times. Like I'm no stranger to being told no. Like those things fuel me. I'm always gonna find ways to be better. So that is the number one trait that, you know, uh, serves me well now being a, a CEO in the entrepreneur space. Okay, first off, you got me all fired up now. I'm gonna like run through a brick wall. <laughs> awesome. And you know, I know you do a lot of this with your speaking career now too, uh, which is all something, also a career that I'm into, keynote speech, speaking. What inspired you to get into that space? Like, what's the message that you give people? Do you touch on these athlete sensibilities in your speaking too? For sure, I, I definitely do. Um, and it really came to like, I used to hate speaking. I used to lie to get out of speaking opportunities, even at Cal. Uh, people would ask me to come by and, you know, talk. And I was like, man, I don't want to do that. My back was sweaty. My hands would be sweaty uh, up there. So that was something that I was not uh, into. But I got to a point in that Jacksonville year in 2013 where I was really thinking like, okay, what is next in my life? And I was in the darkest moment of my career, a lot of rejections at the NFL. Uh, I was 26 years old at the time, or 27 years old at the time. And uh, I'm a six-year NFL veteran. I'm, I'm on an inactive roster, on practice squad. Uh, I'm getting laughed at. Um, I've been told that I, my best years are so-called behind me. And I'm on injury reserve at the end of the year. And I'm thinking about, man, what do I want to do? Like, I know there's something in me. And I start thinking about my gifts. And my wife, one day when I was, uh, we had our first kid, our, my oldest son, Judah. And we're walking across, we're walking. I would take a walk with him uh, in the evening time. And uh, just to get him, uh, get some time with just me and him. And sometimes my wife would join me. And she's like, what's next? 
And I thought about things that I love to do and I loved encouraging people. I love lifting people up. So even in that dark time, I would go, I was on injury reserve, but I would go and reach out to other players, see how I could help them, serve them in any capacity, pray for them, love on them, support them in any way. While I may be down, I didn't want to limit my, my I didn't want my adversity to paralyze my impact. Like I felt like I still am valuable. I'm still useful. I may be injured, but I'm not dead. So I wanted to use that time to at least help somebody else reach their goals. And during that time, I started going out speaking and I started sharing my story and I started loving it. And to see the smile on people's faces and, the, you know, the feedback it was like, OK, this is a sweet spot for me. Man, I love that. I think it, it speaks so deeply when you can take a story like that, a story of extreme hardship and turn it into a gift that you can give other people. I mean, that's just like it's purpose in life. I know it's what gives me up out of bed every day. And um, that's so cool You hear to hear you doing that, too. Yeah. But I'm going to throw out three words here. Um, that's real, brave mm-hmm. and relentless. This is on your website. Can you talk about what those words mean to you and your company? And is there a tie into sports there with that? Yeah, those are our pillars. Um, that's the kind of culture that we have. Like, if you don't, it'll be very hard for you to work in within the company if you don't have those 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 kind of pillars within you. Like, you have to be real. You got to be authentic. Like, whoever you are, like, we don't want people putting on this persona. We don't want the Instagram version of you. We want the real you because our consumer, this is who they are. Like, they live fitness and health and wellness. Like, it's not a game to them. So every day they just exude authenticity and they they know fake when they see it. So uh, we have to be authentic to who we are. Uh, and that's what we love. Like, when we think about hiring, we want authentic people um, that know that self. And when you know that know self, um, some of those other decisions come a lot easier. Uh, get in a problem when people uh, don't know yourself and you're, you, if you don't know your brand. Um, so that's where that real part comes in. And brave, like, you got to be fearless. Like, it is it is a mindset to, like, I'm going after life. Like, I'm, I'm lion chasing. Like, I know what I'm going after is daunting. Like, I want to be the Gatorade of hygiene. Like, this is something that would scare most men being on this journey, being an entrepreneur. You know, I know entrepreneur is like a sexy term out there, especially since Shark Tank. But this is hard work day in and day out. And there's competitors. You're going up against monsters, legacy brands like, you know, uh, Johnson and Johnson. You're going up against, you know, the Unilevers and the Procter and Gambles of the world. Uh, so you got to have that mindset. Like, I'm just going to like attack today. I'm going to be fearless. And I don't care if I get nicked up along the way, but I'm going, I'm going to go out fighting. So that's the kind of mindset that our consumer and the people that I want working for me, like I want foxhole individuals that know how to handle uh, the the foxhole just as well as they handle the mountaintop. And uh, so that's where that brave part comes in. Then relentless, that goes back to that perseverance. People that don't take no for an answer, that grit, that mindset that I'm gonna accomplish my goal by any means necessary. People that don't won't be confined to boxes. Like we say all the time, like boxes are for things, not people. And I prided myself in my professional career as being a box breaker. Like I wasn't gonna be this though five, eight, 195 pound running back scat bat that can only come on a third downs or be on special teams. No. That that's 
Now, I'm being relentless in my pursuit and I'm going to be great and I'm going to find a way to be a featured back. I'm going to be an every down back. I'm going to be uh, the best, uh, the best back that the, on my team. And so that mindset of being relentless into your pursuit of greatness, uh, that's what we're seeking as a, as a brand. And then same, same goes for our uh, consumer. Man, your running that's style incredible. translates perfectly into your business. You're definitely <laughs> yeah. the hitter or not the hitty when you're going through that hole. Exactly. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm telling you that there's so much awesome goodness in what you just said. I was just, I, I was, I have so many things I want to say, but I'm, I'm going to try and limit myself here. First thing is uh, <clears throat> for the entrepreneurs listening, definitely. It, I, I, my sense is it feels like uh, lots of mundane tasks performed at high speed. That's the, the, the non-sexy version. Like, you know, it's not the splashy, you know, I raised a billion dollars, you know, thing that you see on the, on, on TechCrunch, it's like you just got a lot of work you got to get through. Then of yeah. the things that you need to get through, there's a lot of, to your point, like a lot of things that you don't expect that are not good news. You know, things that yes. like you have know, a supply chain that's not going to deliver on time, whatever it is. You know, like I, I often refer to Ben Horowitz. Ben Horowitz has got this great adage. He's like, when I was an entrepreneur, he's like, I just slept like a baby. Which is to say that. I woke up every two hours crying every night. <laughs> and, you know, yes. like stress, sweating, you know, like, uh, you know, yeah. another previous boss I had founded um, WeddingChannel.com. And he described to me, you know, the night before he, the, his business partner had raised uh, half of a round that they were they were supposed to bring in a million dollars. And I think his business or no, it was the 500 and his, his business partner raised 250 from one person. Then he really raised 250 from a whole bunch of other people. And then like the day before they were going to sign, like his business partners, like group, like pulled out and they were like out of money. Yeah. So his big decision was like, it kept him up all night. Like, do I tell everybody that we're out of money? We don't, you know, and that was its whole, its own whole story. So it's like that, but like all the time, so you got to, and I, the last thing I was going to mention is that uh, as a former running back, you were saying something about this, but I, I personally feel like, you know, football is great training for entrepreneurship, partially because you, uh, you said something like you got to, you get hit, you get knocked down seven times, you get up eight. Well, mm-hmm. in football and in a lot of the sports of our, that our athletes play, you actually do physically get knocked down. Like, so not only are you emotionally taxed, that seventh time when you're wondering if you're going to get up, like, and you're just like, feel like you can't, like you're getting your ass kicked or whatever. But like, you know, physically, like it is literally hard to get off the ground because you, your body is sore. Your muscles are tired. You're cramping. So when you actually get into business, you know, that whole physical part's gone. So like the emotional part you're used to, that's the only thing there. So it's it actually feels kind of easy in comparison. <laughs> you know, Man. I mean, that's not easy, but you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, it lacks that, like the physical component is gone. So I think it's, it's actually extraordinarily good training. So I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but that's, uh, it's, it's, it's great. It's great training. You know, I'm not getting hit by JJ Watt or trying to block Julius uh, Peppers anymore, but, <laughs> but every day, um, it's important because even where athletes will struggle with identity, uh, crisis. Um, entrepreneurs study, uh, struggle with identity crisis, where you feel that your value is strictly based on your performance as an entrepreneur. And I tell entrepreneurs this all the time: like, for us as a brand, we want to, we want our consumers chasing holistic greatness. Yeah. So that is not just that is just not going after one sector of life. Like your body is one thing, but you got to take care of your mind. You got to take care of your body. You got to take care of your spirit. It's like this three part 
like holistic mindset that you got to pour in. So I'm not taking the hits that I'm not uh, used to, like by J.J. Watt on Sundays, but I'm getting less sleep. You know, so how do I point to my body? How do I make sure I'm getting up early in the morning, get up at 5 a.m. and I get and I'm getting to work out and making sure that I'm investing in holistic greatness in the physical? How can I get ways to get some meditation and get some prayer time in to, to make sure that I, I'm yeah. not allowing the stress to overcome me and overwhelm me with this job? Um, oh, so that is so it, important. I'm so glad you mentioned that. It, it, is, it is great. I think we neglect it. Uh, but I think uh, being an athlete like we've been to these painful points where we had to push ourselves mentally, physically, and spiritually to these depths before. So we're not strangers to trying to find ways to like, okay, like in football, I'm going to a bad time. I'm not getting the playing time that I want. Uh, I'm not hitting the the records or the, the st- statistics that I want. So I have to find ways, like maybe I got to vent, maybe I got to go talk to my coach. Maybe I have a, a teammate that I can vent to and uh, talk and release some things where I'm not holding things in and allowing things to build up and have this big explosion later down the road. Uh, like it, how can I press myself like to, in a peak condition? Like maybe I'm, I'm, I'm not as fast as I want to be. Not as, I'm not as strong as I want to be, but I'm going to push my body to the limit. Like I'm going to do the extra stairs. We had to own your home at Cal. I'll never forget where <laughs> I'm running up those stadium stairs and owning every step because I want to be in peak condition. So when my moment comes, my opportunity comes for success that I will seize it because there's no telling when it comes. Uh, so I, I think that we as athletes are prepared to, to succeed at the next level. And that's why I look for entrepreneurs. That's why I, we have an internship program where we're getting Cal uh, players to come in. Like we have Joshua Drayden right now as an intern oh, uh, nice. for us. Like, so uh, it, it is a huge asset. It's a huge edge. Wow. There, there's so much good. I, I encourage everybody who's listening to this to listen to that little session over and over again, because it is it is a big deal. Keeping yourself fit mentally, emotionally, when you're when you're, you know, and so forth, when you're an entrepreneur, because otherwise you, you do you run out of energy. It's like you can't yeah. march the army all the time, but you got to also be ready for the moments when you got to go fast. Yep. Well, that's the seat. It's seasonal, right? Yeah. So I was telling somebody the other day, like you in football and in sports, there's no way that you're going through season mode year round. There's an off season and yeah. then there's, there's your, your regular season. And the off season is just as important as the regular season. You know, as football, we most we're the our most most of our time is dedicated to practice and preparation. Most of our time, like we have in the NFL, you have 16 games. You know, you got seven to, you know, nine months, depending on, you know, what area you're playing football, where you're strictly practicing and then you're going out there and to play 16 games uh, a year. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's important. So, you know, as you know, um, something like, you know, 98 percent of the student athletes at Cal, they go pro in something other than their sport, like right when they graduate. And then there's people like you, the other two percent who go pro after a pro career. Which for, for a lot of people actually arguably is harder because it's your now you're in your you know your mid thirties or late twenties or something and you got to try to figure out what you want to do with your life and we've heard really poignantly from this group that it's like you know it's really a transition of self identity uh, you know that you go from the sort of the athlete you to the the post sports you and we've heard it's really really hard difficult I mean I can certainly remember that moment um, I don't know if it how, how hard it was for you sound like you like you got like right after it but. Anyway, we, you know, our, our student athletes wonder, you know, what they're going to do with their life, how their life's going to unfold. 
you know, what the first steps that they can take are and so forth. And so we're, we're wondering if you're 30, 35, right? 35 now? 35. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So if your 35 year old self, <clears throat> you know, had some guidance for your, say, 22 to 20 year old self, you know, it could be anything. It could be career guidance. It could be like general guidance or both. Like, like what would you say? Um, early on that you're more than an athlete. Early on, you're, you're so much more. You have so much to give the world. Uh, I retired at age 32. And if I could go back and tell the young Justin at 22, it's like, man, there's so much more for you. There's so much more impact. Um, your value is not based on your performance or how many touchdowns you score or how many people are in the crowd standing and cheering your name. Like you are created for more. And uh, so that's what I would tell the athletes now, because that identity thing is is in a struggle. It's not just athletes either. I know military men and women that struggle with the same thing. You do something for so long that comes be, becomes the identity. But there is also a fear of that. That's all that you can do. But you, like being an athlete, like there's so many skill sets that people are like dying to have, right? I went to a Tony Robbins uh, Tony Robbins event, uh, speaking event uh, a couple of years ago and just to watch him in action. And uh, it was insane about just how many of the attributes they were in there like chanting for and like just falling over the ground for they're just like man this is like like trying to get yourself ready for a pitch or get yourself for a job interview <laughs> like man we know how to run through a wall we know how to go out there and get yeah. ready and no, we don't need that external factor to get us going like we're like self-motivated people that can turn it on when we need to turn it on so things like that like man there's there's so much value in what we what we do yeah, it's so true. You know, there's so much to the uh, we, we think in the athlete's mindset is, is is sort of some things that are native to the athlete's experience, as, as it were, yep. you know, end up being just immensely valuable. Like like the thing that, people, that other people who haven't played sports, not the only way to get this stuff, but, you know, they that they struggle to, to get uh, like, you know, Robin, I've talked about like preparing, uh, you know, for years, sometimes decades, you know, to get faster by, you know, a couple <laughs> of ticks on the 40 time you know clock or if you're in the pool you know to get like a hundredth of a second faster and like those margins at the end of the day end up being the difference between winning and losing you know and they end up being the difference between making it and not and athletes like completely get that recovering from injuries like you know things like that like there are setbacks big setbacks that's normal we just we go start we treat we get into the training room we start lifting yep. you come back you know <clears throat> all these little things that are just so normal in sports, so native to the experience, like a lot of other people don't have. So I think it's really, and I think this idea that you said of having, you know, multiple dimensions of worth is also just so important. It's, you know, and Rob is uh, at the Welcome Back Barbecue at the beginning of each year, you know, we, we say a few words to 850 student athletes and all the coaches. And one of the themes is get going on a couple of things you're interested in, not just your sport. And yep. get going early, because you got a lot to give. But you said really well. Tony Robbins has nothing on you, by the way. So we, we, we got to get people down to listen to you speak. So, uh, and on that note, how, how can our listeners follow you? And if they want to do that internship, how do they reach you? And how can we point them to you? Yeah, I mean, all of my handles on social media is J Forset at J Forset. Uh, my uh, my email is at just J at J Forset. Uh, 
and I'm sorry, J-Force at HustleClean.com uh, if you want to reach out, find more about the internship. But but yeah, that's that's how you can reach me. Uh, I'm around. Cool. Well, Justin, that was awesome. Like now, like Rob said, like I'm all pumped up and thank you so much <laughs> for spending the hour with us. That was, I mean, our, our kids are going to love this. This is such a good, this is such a good segment. I'm, I'm really pleased. Thank you so much. Go Bears. Uh, go Bears. Thank you. Thank you for having me, man. I really had a, had a great time sharing with you guys today. So Justin Forsett, he's easy to find. He's all over the web. His handle is at J4Set at Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Spotify, and more. He's a guest on lots of podcasts. At LinkedIn, search Justin Forsett. And if you're a Cal athlete interested in internships at Hustle Clean, you can email Justin directly at J4Set at HustleClean.com. If we needed a perfect example to debunk the false narrative of overnight success, Justin is it. It's tempting to imagine that shooting stars like him were born superhuman and walk a gilded path. But as he described poignantly, that's never the backstory of high achievement. Instead, the hard scrabble climb to greatness, whether in sports, entrepreneurship, or anything important, is marked by perseverance over the long term in the face of failure, rejection, indignity, in Justin's words, being broken getting knocked down seven times, but getting up eight. Google Teddy Roosevelt's man in the arena to underscore Justin's point. Speaking of President Roosevelt, I suspect he would have especially loved Justin and Wally's genius adaptation of the Oklahoma drill into a new management technique for resolving disputes between founders. But my favorite part of the interview was Justin's guidance on becoming aware of the multidimensional you. You're more than an athlete. You're more than an entrepreneur. Your value is not strictly based on the performance of a single dimension of yourself. That and to build systems for developing wellness of body, mind, and spirit, which for Justin included strategies like taking walks with his kids in the evenings, meditation in the mornings, and so forth. I just love that. I hope you did as well. And for all you schedule-challenged movers and shakers out there, give Hustle Clean's time-saving body and face wipes a try, which you can find at Target or at HustleClean.com. You can find the podcast, show notes, and additional content and resources on the Spotlighting Episodes page at, you guessed it, BigCSociety.org forward slash Spotlighting. If you'd like to support the work we do here on the podcast, subscribe right and comment on the show at Apple Podcasts. Hit that subscribe button on YouTube and Spotify for you Android users. Share the show or your favorite episodes with friends or on social media. And you can also support us by making a gift at bigcsociety.org forward slash donate. The Big C Society is a very efficient, mostly volunteer organization and a registered 501c3 charity. Each donation of $500 supports one episode, although Donations of any size are welcome. I appreciate our team who works very hard week in and week out on this podcast. Our liaison directors for each sport at Cal who co-host the shows. Our production team behind today's episode, audio, video engineering, graphics, and so forth. Along with my inspiring co-host, Robert Paler, whose personal story and motivational content you can learn more about at robertpaler.com. I appreciate you all. Lastly, 
If you played varsity sports at Cal and you haven't connected with us on LinkedIn, join us. Send a connection request. Our LinkedIn network is comprised of thousands of Cal varsity athletes and alumni who are among the most productive citizens of the world, just like Justin. I'll see you in two weeks on our next amazing episode. We have so many good conversations in the tank, ready to show. Can't wait to share them with you. Go Bears. Go Bears.